series in which we are exploring the letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Uh, and Shane, I think I'm coming through up here because I've got a lot of feed. I can hear myself. That's never good, right? You guys need to hear me. I don't. So, uh, or maybe I'm just hearing it wrong. So anyway, we'll, we'll keep moving through. Uh, so this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, uh, and in this letter, we find Paul being very challenging and very encouraging of the believers there. And what he's trying to get them to do is to live this different life, a life that's different than non-believers would live. Last week, we looked at the city of Corinth. We looked at how the church began in Corinth, uh, why Paul was writing this letter, uh, Uh, We explored the different themes of chapter one. We talked about who we are in Christ. We talked about how he was calling us to unity and how we are to rely on the wisdom and the power that is in Christ. And and through chapter one, we see Paul uh, throughout it lovingly challenging and encouraging the believers to live this different life. Uh, Today, we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter two. And as we do that, I invite you to grab your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter two. You can open your Bible app, the PCC app, whatever it takes to get to 1 Corinthians chapter two. There's a a blue Bible, should be somewhere in the row in front of you underneath the seat there. And if you grab one of those and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter two, uh, it will be on or around page 807. I really wanna encourage you in some form or fashion to put the the scriptures in your hands so that you can read those. And I also encourage you to grab your sermon notes in case there's something that strikes you that you want to write down. Um, Last week, we started doing this through uh, the book, and I don't know that we're gonna do it every week, but we're gonna do it again today. Uh, I threatened last week, if you weren't here, to have everyone stand and we would read the entire letter of 1 Corinthians, all 16 chapters. People weren't too crazy about that, so we compromised and only did chapter one. Again, today, we're just gonna read chapter two. But to do that, I would love for us to, as you're willing and able to stand, and let's read through that together. So I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. Uh, I'm going to be reading. I invite you to follow along. I'm gonna be reading from the NIV. It'll be on the screen uh, in front of you as well. Uh, Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter two, beginning in verse one. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. Remember, Paul's writing. And he says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. 
The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things by such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter two. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that as we explore this text today that you would speak to us, that you would reveal to us the truth that's in your word and that our hearts and our minds would be open to not only hear and believe your word, but to put it into action. God, I pray that you would help the words that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth to be words written to us so that our lives can be changed and, and we can be different. Thank you for our time together. We love you. It's in your son's name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that chapter we just read together, we see uh, two main ideas that just kind of surface to the top of that. Uh, Paul talks about humility and confidence. Uh, and at first, these two ideas may seem contradictory, but in fact, as Paul is so gifted at doing, one flows right into the next. And when we see these together, we see this beautiful, humble confidence that conveys a strong message about what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. It begins in the first five verses of this uh, letter of, of chapter two, where we see Paul demonstrating humility as he's sharing the message of Jesus. If you remember from chapter one, and if you don't remember, you can go back and read it or, or listen to the message online. And one of the things that we find Paul doing is the reason he's writing to the church at Corinth was to address the divisions which existed there. And while he's writing and addressing them, he's promoting unity. And even here, he's promoting unity as he writes to them. Paul's focus is not on his intellect or education. He was, he was not claiming to have any superior superior personal platform or gifts or abilities. His focus was not on his authority. His focus instead was on Jesus. It was on Christ. Uh, this is something, again, we saw in chapter one, we see in chapter two, and we actually see it throughout the letter that his focus is on Jesus. Paul wants them to be humble because he understands that a humble heart is attractive to God. It's teachable, it's moldable, whereas a proud heart is one that separates us from God. And it, it separates us because it, it doesn't allow any room for God to live and to work. So, so Paul's trying to tell the believers there in Corinth, hey, I, I want you to understand what true humility really looks like. And I would suggest Paul is trying to remind uh, them that, that in doing that and being humble, that, hey, in your humility, God can use weak, frail, and imperfect people to do amazing things. He does this by reminding them that when he first came to them, as we see in verse three, he came in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Now, I don't know if you think about Paul, and I don't know what you think about Paul, but I know for me, when I think about Paul, I often think of him as this, this hero of the faith, right? This one of these pillars, one of these, these people we can look to, because after all, he wrote all these letters that we have in our scriptures, right? He started all these churches. He shared the, the message of Jesus with thousands of people. And often when we look at him and others like him, we tend to put Paul up on a pedestal. We, we tend to, to hold him in high regard. And when we do that, one of the things that in, in reading his writings, we see that it really does a disservice to Paul and to us. 
Because what happens is we begin to compare ourselves to Paul. We put him up on this pedestal and we compare ourselves. But when we see Paul correctly, we see him as someone like us. When we read about his life, we find that he struggled. He was, according to 2 Corinthians, seen by some as being weak. He had difficulties. He felt far from God. He traveled for his work, and often the commute was worse than New Jersey Transit. If you read, you find out it was. And yet God worked through him to further the testimony of God. The message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen for all that would believe was his message, and it continued to spread because he was willing to be obedient. And I think that's encouraging for us because what it says is God can work through us as well to share our faith and the hope that we have in Christ with other people. And we can do that even if we don't have all the answers. We can do that even if we don't always know what to say. We can invest in the lives of other people even if we're not the most talented. We can give even if we don't have a lot. We can pray even when words fail us. Paul was imperfect and God worked in him and through him and God will work in us and through us as well as we recognize our weakness, as we invite him to work in us and through us and as we surrender our lives to him. Paul was trying to tell the the church in Corinth, this is what you need and and it's the same is true for us today. Through uh, Paul's approach to ministry, We see that he was humble in what he did. He was continually directing people to put their focus and their faith not in his own wisdom, not in the wisdom of the world or of the age or on what anyone else claims, but he was continually focusing people back on God, on Jesus, on his wisdom and his power, God's love as demonstrated through Jesus. And while Paul is being humble by downplaying his own abilities, he's also very confident in his message. Do you see how that works? He's humble about himself. He's confident about Jesus. We see him make the turn in the way he presents this in verse six of chapter two. He begins to boast. But as we saw back in chapter one, verse 31, if you're gonna boast, who do you boast in? You boast in the Lord. And that's what Paul is doing. He does that by comparing the wisdom of God with the wisdom of the world. And this is a section of scripture from verse six through the end of the chapter that, that has been frequently misused and misapplied. And those are two things I'm gonna try desperately hard not to do this morning, right? But I don't claim to have all the answers or to have all of this figured out. I just wanna share uh, with you through my lens of how I, I see what Paul is trying to tell the church and how it applies to us as well. Paul's argument is that our hope is not to be in great or persuasive speeches like this one. Okay, there's the laugh I was kind of thinking. Yeah, no, our hope is not to be in the world's wisdom. It's not to be in human perspective. Our hope is not to be in the philosophy, the politics, the particular worldview of the day. All of these things in and of themselves are not inherently wrong, but that's not where we are to put our hope. What I believe Paul does in this chapter is to show us where our hope should be and how we are to live in order to obtain that hope. And he does this by talking about wisdom. First, he claims that the message of Jesus is the message of the cross 
that is what is wisdom. The message of the cross is wisdom. And this is what he and the other apostles are proclaiming. And yet, this wisdom is not the type of wisdom that the world often recognizes. The teachings of Jesus, the message of the cross, receiving the gifts of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness were, were all seen by some of the Corinthians as not as wisdom, but as this immature understanding and teaching. They saw those things as kind of the less than, and, and you're kind of foolish to, to accept those and to believe those. And what Paul is teaching them is that the wisdom of the age and the wisdom of God, are they're just not the same thing. It's interesting when you think about the way we think about the way we think about life. Because that has changed over the years, hasn't it? I mean, think about where we are today. We're in the postmodern era, right? And postmodernism, it rejects the possibility of reliable knowledge, denies the existence of universal reality, and frames truth as arbitrary and subjective. That was a response to modernism, which was a response to the Enlightenment, because the Enlightenment was this certainty of thinking and, and all this thought. Uh, things in the Enlightenment that came to, uh, about were the, uh, the 35-volume encyclopedia was produced in that time. Isaac Newton came up with his principles of mathematics. These are the certainties. These are the things that you can know. And during that time, one of the segments of the Enlightenment sought to find accommodation between reform and traditional systems of power and faith, while the other segment advocated for democracy, individual freedom, and the end of religious authority. And then it changed. And then it changed. And then it changed. And all this to say, the way in which we view the world, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom that is proclaimed, it has changed. And in 200 years, it's probably going to look different than it does today. But God's wisdom, the message of the cross, has remained the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe that's the distinction Paul is making here in the text. And to further this point, he wants to remind the believers in Corinth that the rulers who hold power and influence and, and they're standing in the city, these rulers, they are all temporary. They will be forgotten. For instance, this. Can anyone tell me the name of this person? If you can, just raise your hand. Yeah, you saw it, so you, you're disqualified. Anyone? Okay, here's your, uh, got one, okay. Go for it. Uh, we're close. William Henry Harrison, yes. William, if, if you know your U.S. history of presidents, William Henry Harrison, ninth president of the United States. Pretty impressive to be president of the United States, right? Forgotten. Right? I mean, let's think about that for a minute. Forgotten. You know what that says? We're probably going to be forgotten as well. When you think about what we think about and the way we think about what we think about and, and, and who is, who's really important, rulers, they're going to be forgotten. All of this is, is going to be forgotten. They're going to come to nothing. Paul wants to make this clear distinction between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. And I think this is something we need to understand as well. I, I think one of the things that the church in Corinth and, and PCC have in common is that we live in a very intellectual part of the world. 
education and knowledge are highly valued and highly sought after. All, all you have to do is start talking about schools or universities or colleges, and it sparks some of these really strong feelings about what's the best, right? And where you get the, you know, you can get that superior education and intellect, and those are the places you should go. Not much has changed. The Greeks, they prided themselves, as one writer said, in their rhetoric and grandiloquence. Of course, they also were well known for who? Well, they were known for their famous philosophers. Socrates, as we like to call him, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Paul was very familiar with their teachings and their approach to how they think about what they think about. And Paul is pointing out that to live in the wisdom of God is to live different than the wisdom of the world. His, his point is that all these wisdom and, and philosophies and thoughts they're not wrong, they're not bad, but they're nothing compared to the message of Jesus and the cross because only that message is eternal. So as, as we consider that which we value, it's a good reminder that the education and the training that we pursue, it, it's good, it's valuable, it's beneficial to our life, but education is not life itself. It's the message of the cross that brings life and life to the full. It's, it's Jesus. And, and we have to consider how we hold the wisdom of the world and the things the world values with what God values and how we hold them in tension with each other. Paul makes the claim that the message of the cross truly is wisdom. He also makes the claim that this wisdom is divinely revealed in verse seven, Paul calls this message of God, the wisdom of God, a mystery, and that it was hidden, but now it's revealed through the cross. Paul shared this same thought with the church in Corinth uh, when in chapter 16 he writes, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. Paul, throughout his writings, is demonstrating how this, this secret wisdom that was hidden is now open. It's an open secret for all believers because of the cross of Jesus. This mystery, it was foretold in the Old Testament and yet it was missed. The Gentiles, it was hidden from them. They didn't know the Old Testament scriptures, right? They weren't Jewish. So that which was hidden from them has now been revealed. What was considered inconceivable has now been revealed because of Jesus and it all began to make sense that, that this mystery, this what was hidden, is now laid bare and is available to everyone. And it was not because we as humans have become so wise that we figured it out, so that we somehow decoded the mystery of God. Instead, it was revealed to us. It was given to us by God through his spirit. We see Paul quoting from Isaiah 64, and in a way, he's issuing a warning to all those who attempt to reach God merely through human efforts because those human efforts alone will always fall short of discovering and experiencing God unless they have faith in Christ. In verse 11, Paul uses a very interesting example to make his case for divinely revealed wisdom. Uh, look at this text again with me, it'll be on the screen. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. A little a test for you, how many of you can look at the person sitting next to you and then say exactly what they're thinking. 
Yeah, you can't, right? How do you know what another person is thinking? Sometimes you can kind of tell. If you get the look, right? You, you can kind of know, but you don't know exactly until they tell you. Uh, one of the, the, the things Michelle, uh, one of the questions Michelle used to ask me often was, well, what are you thinking about? And then she learned that I really wasn't thinking about much, hardly ever, so, you know. <laughs> but she would ask that question because she wanted to know. She wanted to know me. She wanted to know more about me so our, our relationship could grow. And I would suggest the same is true in our relationship with God. The way we can commune with God and to know his thoughts is through the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And even then, we'll only be able to know that which he chooses to disclose, that which he freely gives to those who believe. And and I would add that we can also know God's heart by turning to the scriptures, to the Bible, because it points us to Jesus. Paul would say that this enables us to understand what God has freely given us. And what has God given us? If we go to the, the scriptures, we find that he's given us Jesus, right? He's given us salvation through faith in Jesus. He's given us grace. He's given us the indwelling of the spirit which guides us to faith and to love and to obedience. And we, in response to him, we surrender our lives each and every day. And this type of surrender leads us to this different life that Paul is talking about. Often it's, it's a life that those who do not yet have a faith in God just cannot understand or comprehend. Now, it's really important as we try to make this distinction that we we make this distinction, that that being a believer doesn't make you better or smarter than someone who doesn't believe. It's just different. It's being humble enough to realize that it's only through Christ and not by our own efforts, that's how our life can be different. While at the same time, we have this confidence that, that allows us to put our hope and our faith and our trust in the, in the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord. It's humility along with that confidence. The reality is, though, not everybody believes that. And I would suggest that's what Paul is saying when he says, those who do not accept what comes from the Spirit of God as wisdom, they, instead they see it as foolishness. They cannot accept the spiritual truth because it's not where they are in their lives at that moment. Many of the Jews missed the message of Jesus because it wasn't where they were. They weren't ready. And many people today still miss, miss the message of Jesus because it's not where they are in their life. And that causes me to ask the question of all of us, And for you to ask the question of yourself, where are you? And the reason I ask that question is because I know people who have discovered and experienced the life-changing love of Christ, it has impacted their life and it has been amazing. The wisdom of the cross of Jesus has changed how they think, how they live, how they act, all of those things. It's impacted their view of their time, their resources, their view of relationships. And at the same time, I know people who know all about the Bible, They know the stories, they know the plot lines, they they know everything, and yet for one reason or another, they just have not accepted it as the message that God wants them to hear. They haven't accepted Christ. They have all the information, but it has not resulted in life change. Their view is that to surrender to that which the scriptures say, that's foolishness. And it reminds us that for some, the message of Jesus is wisdom And for others, it's foolishness. And it poses the question, what is it to you? And that's the question that I invite you to answer. 
There are so many things that, that I think Paul is trying to tell us in all of his writings, but specifically in chapter two, he's, he's trying to say, what are you gonna do with the wisdom of the cross? The wisdom that's divinely revealed to us through the spirit, through his word. How do you respond? That's the question we must answer. It's the question we must answer every day. What do we do with Jesus? What do we do with his message? How do we respond to the cross? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this letter.